It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 324 of Locked On Raptors for Sunday, April 29th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking, la, 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 la. Make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, all 30 NBA teams are covered for you with a local perspective uh, from experts around the league. It's a really great resource. If there's a specific team you want to hear about, if you want to hear about the Warriors uh, ending the Pelicans' hopes of a competitive series in Game 1, you can listen to Locked On Warriors or Locked On Pelicans if you like the sad uh, and depressing side of that thing. But uh, make sure you're checking out all the shows on the network. It's a great resource uh, during this time of year where there's lots of stuff going on around the league and you want to keep up and there's too many games to keep track of and watch all of. So, uh, yeah, Locked On Podcast Network. And uh, I'll be on Locked On NBA, actually, tonight with Josh Lloyd if you want to hear that. that I think that'll be coming out tomorrow morning, so stay tuned for that as well. Uh, also, make sure you subscribe, rate, review to Locked On Raptors on iTunes. It's uh, the easiest way to help out the show. It's very easy. It's no money. It's five seconds of your time. And uh, it's very helpful. We're at like 84 ratings right now. Please get it to 100 by the end of the playoffs, and I will love you all uh, forever, and I'll be forever indebted to you. So thanks in advance for doing that. All right, on today's show, it's a bit of a series recap show. Uh, the Friday night show that we did was a blast with uh, a whole crew of us where we kind of just had some drinks and made fun of the Wizards for 40 minutes. Uh, this episode, we kind of more go into the, you know, what happened in the series, how it turned out the way it did, what the Raptors did well, what the Wizards did poorly, series MVPs, all that stuff. And it was with Noah Getzel, the host of Locked On Wizards. He's been on the show a couple times now. We've done a couple crossovers during the series. So we wrapped things up with a nice little bow and talked about all that happened and sort of where the Wizards go from here. Uh, spoiler alert, it's not pretty for the Wizards' future right now. Uh, it's not going to be hard to, it's going to be hard for them to get out of a lot of the crappy contracts they've signed. And we talked about that with Noah and a whole bunch of other things from this series. And uh, we'll get to the preview of the next series. It's like one o'clock on Sunday right now. So so game seven between the Pacers and Cavs is just about to start. I'll do a preview of that probably Monday afternoon with the corresponding locked on host and uh, of, of whether the Pacers or Cavs win it. I don't know who I want it to be. I really don't. The, the, my brain says Pacers. My lust for uh, defeating LeBron James says uh, the, the Cavs. I don't really know what to do. But either way. Uh, we'll talk about whatever the Raptors opponent is for game one and the second round uh, in, uh, on Monday, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's get to the conversation now with myself and Noah Getzel. I'm going to go watch game seven, free of any sort of anxiety or fear, and uh, we'll talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Locked on NBA crossover podcast today. Here we are recapping the end of the series between the Washington Wizards and Toronto Raptors, Raptors 1 and 6. I am Noah Getzel from Locked On Wizards, and we are here today with Sean Woodley. What's going on, Sean? Locked On Raptors host. How you feeling? Uh, pretty good, man. Gotta say. Uh, it was very tense in Game 6. I was not ready for another Game 7. The Leafs just played a Game 7 
uh, this week and lost. The Raptors have had a couple Game 7s in recent years that were just, like, arduous and terrible and not at all fun to enjoy. So I got to say, I'm feeling pretty good that the series got wrapped up in six. So there's a few days off, about to watch Game 7. Casers, pa- Casers, Pavs, uh, sure. Pacers, Cavs. And uh, I feel pretty good. So, yeah, can't complain. And you said you don't really care who wins Game 7. Your brain logically would say that, you know, like the, you want to play the Pacers because you don't want to face LeBron James, but then it's also sort of like the rite of passage type thing where you, yeah. if you LeBron, you can beat anyone. Yeah, I'm a sucker for narrative and stuff, I guess, and like the idea of beating LeBron and, you know, because like he looks pretty vulnerable right now, at least the Cavs do as a whole. I mean, LeBron himself is still ridiculous, but the rest of the team is kind of butt. So um, if... If that's what happens and the Raptors lose to LeBron, like there's no shame in losing to LeBron because everyone loses to LeBron. But if they beat beat him, that'd be kind of cool. And uh, yeah, no, but yeah, I'm pretty uh, neutral going into this game seven. I'm just excited to watch uh, the the anxiety of two fan bases unfold in front of me. So if there's like one word or one theme that you thought was like the key to to your Raptors series, and you know the Raptors coming out on top, is is there any like? key over the course of those six games like one one major recurring element that you think beat the wizards hmm that's a good one um depth i guess would be the easy one uh yeah yeah uh, yeah i mean the raptors even without fred van vliet like they had a lot of contributions throughout the series from secondary guys delon wright had a couple excellent fourth quarters and figured into a lot of you know some of the more you know, tide changing runs that took place in the series. He, you know, he had that game five where he had the the lob finish. He had the three. He, you know, had the steal and, and euro step on John Wall. Like he was excellent. And then you had CJ Miles, who even I thought CJ Miles is like contributions to this series are probably going to go understated. He was really good in games one and two. Hit a bunch of shots. And then after that, he kind of went cold. But the threat of C.J. Miles and the way the Wizards perceived that threat and sort of threw everything they had at defending him, I think ended up really helping out the Raptors. It was very much the spacing you want from a guy who's a gunner. And even though he was kind of cold, having him out there as opposed to in years past where it was Patrick Patterson or Damari Carroll where no one really cared to guard them all that, you know, all that you know, attentively. Uh, to have C.J. Miles up there and you can kind of leverage the attention being paid to him into, you know, looks for your other guys in the court, I think that was a pretty big thing. And then, you know, the, you know Pascal Siakam kind of came around late in the series. That was nice to see. Yeah. And then Fred Van Vliet comes back, a dude who sat for six games minus three minutes, and just kind of, even though he was only like five points, four boards, you know, he wasn't particularly amazing um, yep. on, on the stats line. Yeah, he had four assists as well. Yeah, Yeah, so he wasn't like, he didn't like blow the stat line up, but he was also really good at defense. And just kind of, I think the biggest thing with him is he steadies that second unit and kind of adds an element of creation and shot making and and just sort of space once again to that unit that wasn't there the entire series when they were running it out with like Norman Powell or whoever else. And uh, I think that kind of swung it. And it was really nice as a Raptors fan to see that unit kind of come together and just like pick up where they left off in the regular season where it just all the pieces fit perfectly and you know the Wizards on the other hand Otto Porter goes down Kelly Oubre has to start he goes one of seven from deep I think John Wall actually talked about this on locker cleanout day just kind of you know about how the the depth on the wing wasn't really there for obviously Jordy Jody Meeks getting suspended before the series hurts but um, not really because he didn't play much anyway. fair enough. Like, it was pretty clear he wasn't going to be in the rotation it fair was enough. Probably gonna yeah be. You know, like a nine-man rotation. Yeah. Uh, I guess Ty Lawson came in in the playoffs, so he got some of those minutes. But, I mean, Ty Lawson, I'm sure, shot the ball better over the course. I think he was, like, um, probably, 
I can't quite remember. I think he, he was like 100 for 100, series, I believe. Not a lot, but he would have shot better than Jody makes, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think he was actually 100% from the field, if I'm not mistaken. Um, felt like it. Actually, Mike Scott True? Mike Scott was 100% from the field. <laughs> At least, yeah. Which was surprising, because he scored eight points in the fourth quarter of you know the decisive game six, and then he, he didn't. I don't know if he attempted another shot after that, but he only played 14, 15 minutes. Um, he would have like to see him given his contribution throughout the playoffs he was kind of the one we'll get to this like the awards for the playoffs but he was definitely the sixth man of the postseason for the wizards um yeah it was it was a weird i mean when you look at the bench i think depth is is probably the best term to describe the the difference between these two teams maybe a bit of consistency for the raptors as well Mm -hmm. um that, that might be another one word but like in the final game 34 points off the bench isn't a ton, but the Wizards only got 20. And, yeah. you know, eight of those came in the first quarter. So clearly not a lot of contributions outside of John Wall and Bradley Beal, which is what hurt them. You get to the fourth quarter, both games five and six, they have no legs left. Uh, they can't hit a single shot. And in game six, especially, they were getting trapped and committing turnovers just because, you know, nobody else could do anything after they got trapped and you can't you know it's hard enough scoring in the fourth quarter against one defender but when you're trying to you know go one on two and and really force it there's just no shot there's there's no pieces around them to to make things work uh obviously wing depth yeah you don't want your backup point guard Tomas Sadaransky trying to play small forward it's not his natural fit uh yeah the Wizards have a lot of roster issues and very limited financial flexibility so We'll see what kind of trades they make or who they draft this offseason, but it's it's quite a pickle. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Yeah, well, Mike Scott probably played himself out of being affordable for the Wizards, no? Like, would, would you not? Yeah, it was kind of weird because I was with him in the exit interviews yesterday. And, you know, people were asking, like, you know, have you talked to management? Are you interested in signing a deal with the Wizards? Uh, and he's just like, uh, you know, it's, it's really early. I'm still waiting to see. So... <laughs> I, I would think maybe I don't think he cares whether he's a starter or a six man, but yeah. I just don't think the Wizards will be competitive in terms of signing him uh, unless they can get some other contracts off their books, which you know will take some some financial finagling a little bit because it would be great to keep him. He was the one player uh, among the additions that John Wall actually liked because he mentioned you know uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on him. Um, so. He was like, Tim did what he can. He had his moments. He said, Jody, yeah, that's the actor's name I was forgetting. Jody, you know, he contributed what he could before he went through it all with the suspension. And then he said, Mike was great. And Mm -hmm. so that's the only compliment for the new edition. He didn't, I think he had good, he didn't really specifically mention Ty Lawson, but it's tough to make too much of a judgment after playing with a guy for what, like two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, so definitely Wall, if he was GM, We'll talk to the about this at the end in terms of next steps for the Wizards, but I think his his number one move would be get rid of Gortat, <laughs> probably get rid of Meeks, of course, because he wanted to trade earlier. Um, 
and then probably trade auto border and figure out what else he can do. But, I don't know. <laughs> he said, like, I'm, you know, I didn't go to school for managing contracts. I just want better players around me. That's yeah. as simple as that. Um, so let's talk about the MVP and greatest disappointment and maybe what other awards you want to come with. I'm sure yeah. Coach of the Theories goes to that one's not even close. That's Dwayne Casey. Yeah. So in terms of the MVP, do you give it to Lowry or DeRozan? I give it to Lowry. Um, I know DeRozan had the bigger scoring games in games two. Two and five were his big ones, I guess. Um, but, like, I don't know. Kyle was just so... If you wanted to have, like, one word to describe this series, another one, you could just say Lowry, really. I think what he did yeah. in the series was um, kind of... It fed into what I've kind of thought about his playoff performances in the past, and I've always kind of thought they've been more tied to his health than they've ever been tied to some sort of mental block where he can't perform in the playoffs. He's just been broken down in the playoffs. And I think we saw it, and I think Game 6 was a great example of how they've used Kyle to great effect this season. You know, he played 32 minutes in a clincher, and that was all they needed him for because Van Vliet was out there, and he could absorb 19 minutes, and Wright could play 24, and the bench could kind of go without giving up huge runs and giving up the lead and actually sort of get back leads and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. where you didn't have to have Lowry out there for 40 minutes in a game. And for him to go 24-6-6 six, six on 9-15, 3-7 deep, I think he shot 44% from deep in the series with like a 61.7 true shooting. Um, you know, I think I, there were some people out there saying that like Kyle Lowry wasn't having a good series. And I think if that's your take, you didn't watch the series because he did pretty much everything that makes Kyle Lowry Kyle Lowry. He finished with 17-8-5. Um, yeah. And the defense he played on both John Wall, but I think especially Bradley Beal in the series, were, were exceptional. And for him to have the energy to both do that on the defensive end and, and also sort of be the secondary option on offense, I thought he just did everything that makes Kyle Lowry the engine of this team. And he you know, put, I think, a lot of sort of demons to bed in terms of his past, past, you know, you know, playoff performances from recent years. Um, and obviously there's still another round to come, and we'll see what happens, but you know, I, I was just so impressed with Kyle Lowry in the series. And as great as DeRozan was, um, I, I still think I'd take Kyle over DeMar. But at the same time, DeMar has a case considering how the Wizards defended him, right? I mean, the Wizards, I think, mm-hmm. they were kind of daring DeMar in, in, in a couple of those games, in particular games 2 and 5, to, to beat him. They, they were you know, being a little bit more aggressive defensively with Lowry. They were trapping him a little bit more often. They stopped trapping DeMar after game 1. And we're just like, all right, dude, you're going to beat us from 18 feet? Fine, you, you, we try to do it. And then he did it, and right. that was, I think, the you know, especially in Game 5, where the offense wasn't really there outside of DeMar, and then he has like 30 points on 20 shots through three quarters, and then finally the defense softens up a bit. They go to that super small lineup, and DeMar doesn't really factor into the fourth quarter, but you know, all he did to get the Raptors there, I mean, he's the reason they were up one going into the fourth you know, to begin with, so... Um, I think he had a really great series. A couple of bad shooting nights probably throw that off a little bit, but I think given what the defense was asking of him to do, I, I think he did uh, as about as well as you could expect. But I'd still say Kyle for both ends of the floor and just his shooting and just like the crazy. You know, he had that diving play in game four or game six, sorry, where that he started the fast break going the other end in the fourth quarter. That was like kind of a, a convincing play, a uh, deciding play in the game. Um, Kyle Lowry, man, he is uh, he's really really good. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely neck and neck between them, but I think when you look at the whole body of work and yeah. some of the, the poor shooting percentages that DeRozan had, even though, you know, like 44% overall and 39% from three-point range, that's all good, 81% of his free throws, but I can understand that, you know, Lowry is indeed the heart of the team. And along the same lines for the Wizards, 
you know, he's not MVP of the series because his team lost, but it looked like the best player on the court was John Wall, which was, you know, impressive because he had played, I think, like three or four or something, maybe like less than five regular season games after he came back from injury, and then he averaged 26 points, 11.5 assists, uh, 5.7 rebounds, and 2.3 steals. I'm sure he had some block shots in there as well. You can say what you wish about his fourth quarter shooting, his turnovers, and from three-point line, he only shot 19%. But clearly, you know, you look at, like, game four, for example, when the Wizards were on the ropes and lost Bradley Beal due to foul trouble. He was the one who led the, led the back and was responsible for, like, every field goal in the fourth quarter. So clearly John Wall showed that he's worth that max money extension he signed last offseason for now. of Well, <laughs> I guess he missed half the season, so durability <laughs> might come into play, but... I, I, I think, you know, his playoff performance kind of shuts the door on this guy's injured, this guy, you know, he has too many issues in this game. So, although the Wizards don't win it, you, you know, it's it's a whole team. It's not just one guy who's who's able to lead a team to victory, given all the Wizards' inconsistencies, and they had some injury problems. You, as, as much as Jody Meek sucked this year, he, he it was another guy that they couldn't, you know, go to the bench and and lean on, so that was a factor. Uh, what award do you want to go with next? Do you want to do sixth man? Because for me, it's definitely Mike Scott, uh, 10.8 <laughs> points a game, 3.5 rebounds. Uh, didn't do a ton of other stuff besides scoring off the bench, but you know when you shoot 63% and 64% from beyond the arc, you don't miss a free throw. That's, that's a pretty good spark off the bench, in my opinion. Yeah, before we get to Scott, I just want to kind of touch on what you were saying about Wall, and I, I agree. I thought he was uh, he was really good in this series, and he scared the hell out of me a lot of the time. And I think, sorry, autoplay videos. Um, I think the thing about Wall that impressed me was there was a few things. First of all, like he is just such a terror in transition, right? Like he just. And the Raptors, when they got lazy with turnovers or they were having all these long misses that they weren't getting offensive boards on and, and Wall was, you know, starting the fast break himself, it was horrifying. Like, that was, I think, where most of the scoring came for the Wizards in this series. Um, the other thing, too, about Wall was uh, the Raptors were kind of daring him to shoot mid-range shots a lot of this time in this series, and he did it pretty well and I think shot well, but like he, I mean, from... Uh, looking at his shot charts right now, he was definitely well above his 29% from mid-range that he shot in the regular season. Um, there's one spot on the floor here on the right sort of elbow area. Uh, he shot 10 of 13, 77%. He absolutely burned the Raptors every time they let him go right uh, and shoot that 18-footer. And I think that got was... that a... spot from Paul Pierce, actually. That used to be his sweet spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, don't need to talk about Paul Pierce. Uh, this is a happy <laughs> podcast for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I thought the way Wall kind of adjusted his, uh, you know, his, you know, not he didn't adjust. He stayed with the same shot profile essentially, but he just hit them more effectively and kind of made it so he burned the Raptors for for seeding those shots to him. I thought that really sort of you know threw a wrench into the Raptors' plans. So yeah, Wall for sure is their MVP. Um, and yeah, with the six man, Mike Scott. I never ever ever want to see Mike Scott ever again um, it was exhausting he was really good in this series he shot 63 percent from deep uh 63 overall i mean it was 
I really hope Mike Scott gets paid because he deserves it. I hope he gets paid by a team that the Raptors will never play in the playoffs, either a bad team in the East or somewhere out West, um, because he has added himself to like a list of like inexplicable dudes who cook the Raptors all the time. Like he's on the Gerald Henderson list now, um, which is uh, it, among Raptors fans is rarefied air. So congrats to Mike Scott on that, I suppose. Um, who did you? I have a hard time picking who I thought the best Raptors reserve was. Do you have a like a, a, a take on that? Mm, it's probably between Delon Wright and Pascal Siakam. I think. Oh yeah, I guess it's not that hard. Delon Wright was awesome. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if but you like, wanted to get cute defensively, yeah. I, I think like it's hard to say that anyone was better defensively for the Raptors than Pascal. Yeah, the, the possessions he guarded John Wall were super fun. I gotta say that. Uh, I didn't think we'd see much of that, to be honest, considering, you know, Lowry and OG did a pretty good job on him, and I figured they'd just have, like, DeLon guard him most of the time when the bench was in. But to have Siakam sort of throw a different look at him, I think there were times where Wall was kind of startled by how quick Siakam is and how he just couldn't blow by him. Um, but I, for, for me, I think Siakam, his early part of the series was kind of ineffective, and his offense was not really there. And this was definitely a series where the Wizards were looking at the scouting report and saying, oh, Pascal Siakam shoots 20% on, like, two attempts a game. We're definitely not guarding him. And I think that kind of neutralized the, what he does, a lot of what he does off the dribble and, and stuff like that. So, um, mm-hmm. th- I mean, he's got a lot of room to grow. He'll, he'll be fine. But that, that's definitely a weakness that got exposed in this series. Um, yeah, I don't know why I was confused. DeLon Wright was so good in this series. <laughs> it was, uh, he had a couple sort of wonky offensive games, but his defense overall was really nice. And, uh, you know, the, the threes he hit, he, he shot like 47% from threes in this series. Like, that is so crucial and kind of what the Raptors have been missing in playoff runs past. And uh, so, yeah, I think DeLon Wright easily is the Raptors' sixth man of the series. Yeah, no doubt. Um, who would you say is the biggest disappointment? On the Raptors? Yeah, Ibaka maybe. Probably Serge Ibaka, um, which is or a bummer because he contribute a lot over the course of like the the regular season because he he was eh, he averaged seven point eight points. He hit his threes. Was this OG? You said? Yeah, OG. I'm I'm saying like were his playoff numbers comparable to what he, his role on the team throughout the regular season? No, like, he did eight points, two rebounds. He did more in the playoffs than he did in the regular oh, season. Oh really? Yeah, he. Okay. Uh, I've OG was probably on the list of guys who I was most impressed by. Really, that dude wasn't yeah. shook. He, you know, he took threes with confidence, which was kind of an issue in the regular season at times. Um, he had that pull up three in game six that was like, oh, oh, okay, he's doing this now. All right, um, and like his cutting, I think, was just such a nice little sort of wrinkle that was thrown into the offense. He had like three or four dunks on cuts on the baseline that were uh, were crucial, and yeah, so I was not at all disappointed by OG. It's probably Serge, um, even though I think his defense was mostly pretty good in this series, even though the offense kind of got away from him in the last four games. It, it just, he, it, the time, he, when he pulled up for that three in game six, like, around a screen, like, wh- why? <laughs> it was, was my reaction. This is not, this, it was like a super slow motion version of a point guard pulling up a three, and it was not effective at all. Kind of killed a little bit of momentum the Raptors had going. I think they were down three at that time. It was a chance to tie, and, like, that's the shot you get? Like, come on, Serge. Um, but, no, yeah, and just, like, he... I, I, I think he could tri- contribute, like, be much more of an X-factor in this series. Yeah, because, and, like, all you know, season... don't really have fast power forwards or centers who could, you know, make him... Like, he didn't really make the, the Wizards defenders work. Uh, he yeah. did in game one because he was, you know, hitting his threes. But after that, 
there was very little. He wasn't really protecting the rim the, the same way you would you would have thought. It was yeah. mainly Valanciunas and Jakob Pertl uh, who were the rim protectors for your team. So, you know, Ibaka became kind of dispensable. Yeah, I think a lot of Ibaka's struggles were kind of circumstance-related. For some reason, Dwayne Casey played him a lot with with Jakob Pertl, and that lineup just hasn't worked all season long. Um, and so it felt it was pretty annoying and frustrating that that went was gone back to you know pretty frequently throughout this series, and I think that probably hurt his numbers a bit. Um, and also like kind of like C.J. Miles, I think you know we talked about how the the Wizards were defending Demar Derozan. I think you know the the way the Wizards were defending everyone, you know, in concert with how they were approaching Derozan, I think that kind of cut off a lot of opportunities for Ibaka. Ibaka is a guy who gets a lot of pick and pop threes, and that those you know angles and passes just weren't there for Demar to make. I think the Wizards did a good job of trying to key in on Ibaka, especially after his game one where it went off. Um, mm-hmm. And the same thing happened with Valanciunas as well. I mean, Jonas had a great series, but uh, you know there were times, especially in DeRozan's bigger games, where they were just swarming Valanciunas on the roll, not allowing him to be a target at all, and just forcing Demar to shoot it. So um, I think part of its circumstance, maybe it changes in a different matchup. Uh, I'd like to see Ibaka play the five a little bit more often. I think we saw that in game yep. two, and that was really effective. Um, didn't really see it elsewhere in the series, but I think in the next round, depending who the Raptors play, and by the time people hear this, maybe we already know, but um, I think he will be you know, probably more of a, a factor. And if he's not playing well, if he's missing his shots the way he did, although he still shot like 40% from three in the series, which is kind of inexplicable to me, but um, if he's taking those little dumb turnaround jumpers and stuff and not really you know, catching balls, like that was, I think, the biggest thing for me. It was just the, the dumb turnovers and the inability to sort of catch a pass um, that kind of got to me, but maybe we should have expected it because he was inconsistent all season. I was banging the drum that Ibaka is a playoff player who doesn't really care about the regular season, considering all the the wars he's been in the last decade or so with OKC. Um, and so I was just expecting him to save it for the playoffs, and then game one, I was like, oh, I'm vindicated. And then after that, it was just kind of a lot of what we saw in the regular season. But once again, kind of speaks to the depth of the Raptors that they're, you know, in theory, their third best player when he's engaged. Didn't have a very good series aside from one game or two games. He was good in game two, um, yet they still ended up pulling it out in six. So um, yeah, yeah, a bug is my biggest disappointment. Who's yours for the Wizards? Wizards. I I was wondering your your opinion because there's four guys who I'm kind of deciding between, and those guys are uh, Otto Porter, Markeith Morris, Kelly Oubre, and Marcin Gortat. Mm. And Marcin, you know, he's like 33 years old. You can't really expect too much from him. He ended up averaging, uh, I. You know, he wasn't great. <laughs> he, he had one game with zero points, uh, 8.7 points, and 6.3 rebounds, just .33 blocks. So that's like, how many games is that? In six games, he had, he had like two blocks. That's not very good. Um, and then what's real unfortunate for Porter was he just wasn't healthy throughout the series. Yeah. And of course, he had like that emergency surgery before game six. So he averaged 10 points and five rebounds. He also had 1.2 steals and a block a game um markeith you would have loved to see more out of him uh he wasn't really like you know he had that intentional foul or he started some drama in, in game two and then he just really went away from that bully personality afterward i guess he had 15 rebounds in game six but you know only 12 points three in the second half so he could have contributed a lot more he ended up with 9.8 points and 7.5 rebounds over the course of the series and then Ubre, although he was a spark plug, he just couldn't hit a shot. Yeah. So he he scored, you know, nine point three points, which is good. Um, he got some. Uh, whoops, I lost him. He a, a steal a game, not bad. Three point eight rebounds, but 
21% shooting from downtown. Yeah. That really hurts because when you have Wall and Beal penetrating, getting to the rim, and everyone collapses, you know, you're going to have open shooters. You just need someone to hit it up. I mean, if he hit like a third of his threes instead of 21%, it would have been a big difference just because he was such a volume shooter. You know, there were games where he's shooting like 107 from three point line. So it's, it's tough between those four, I guess. I guess I would have to say Porter was a disappointment just because. Like last year, for example, he was healthy and he's kind of struggled with these hip issues or lower leg issues stemming from the hip issues throughout not just his career, but even his time when he was back at Georgetown. So it's sad to see him not doing what he's capable of because usually he's, you know, getting steals, getting offensive rebounds, sprinting out in transition, hitting those wing threes, uh, corner threes all the time. So when he's not able to move, he looks a lot more like, you know, John Wall off the ball, someone mm-hmm. who just stands there and can, well, Wall can't really hit threes, but Otto, Otto's a good standstill shooter. He, you know, he, you would love to see him be more active, and that's that what that's what he can do. He's usually like, you know, the, the hyped up Kelly Oubre type, but just, you know, a, a better version of Kelly Oubre because he has, uh, you know, he's more mature and understands the game a little bit better. He doesn't make some of those not rookie, I guess Kelly's in his third, fourth year, third year, but, you know, he doesn't make those same mistakes, so, I w- yeah, I think Otto is the biggest disappointment, just because, you know, it's not his fault, but he was injured and couldn't contribute as much as he would like your max money player to, to be doing, and a lot of people have beef with uh, Otto because he's making all this money, and he's, you know, putting up the same numbers as he did before the money, but... You know, you can't really expect a person to change the way they play just because they're earning more money. You can't think they'll be like a one-on-one type scorer. But yeah. definitely, I was I was torn at first between those four guys. I think it's Otto at the end of the day. Do you feel like anyone was more disappointing for the Wizards than Otto Porter? Oh, yeah. I think of those four guys, Porter would have been last on my list of disappointments. Just, you know, you factor in the injury and also, like, he still hit his yeah. shots. Um, he was 41% from deep, you know, almost 50% from the field. He, he swung, I think... The third quarter of game four, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he hit like a couple threes. Um, and like his defense on DeMar, even while injured, like I thought it was pretty good for the most part, uh, especially early on in the series. Like game one, I think he did a really good job on him. And, you know, they, they definitely missed him in game six. Like not having that right. sort of, you know, you talk about how Kelly Oubre couldn't miss, make a shot. I mean, in those situations where Wall and Beal are kind of penetrating, you kind of can live with cheating a little bit more off of the shooters because it's Oubre who was shooting 21% as opposed to Porter who was shooting 41%, right? Yeah, um, that's a big difference. Yeah, so I think I would put Porter at the bottom of the list. I would say it's between Gortat and Morris for me. Gortat, I think I might take the cake just because you saw in the games where he was effective that you know, how much of a difference he makes. Like, games three and four, he was really good. His screens were illegal, but also very good. Um, <laughs> There's no such thing as, like, a legal screen in the NBA. No, but, definitely but, not. But I, I agree. Yeah, Serge Ibaka does that all the time. It's, it's kind of like yeah. holding in football. Like, they, yeah. you know, they just, they can't call it every play, but it happens every yeah, play. Yeah, just don't be deal. super egre- egregious with it, and you're not going to get called. And yeah, but yeah, no, I think, you know, he just... I don't know what it was, whether it was just like a lack of attentiveness on defense or like a lack of sort of oomph when he was rolling to the rim, but he just kind of felt like a non-factor. Wall wasn't really looking for him at all, and maybe that's just kind of a systemic thing with the team that's happened all year. But um, not Gortat right now? Yeah, Gortat, yeah. I feel like in games three and four, he was really effective, and he was a useful yeah. role man. And you saw how sort of much it changes between when he's good and when he's bad and sort of how 
the team changes as a construct. So uh, Gortat was there, although I think Markeith Morris was just so bad in this series. Like, I really do. He shot 16% from deep. Um, and I just... To play Serge Ibaka to, like, a dead heat in this series is not uh, a good indictment of how you played. Um, or it's, a, it's, it's an indictment of how you played, sorry. And he was just... I, I, at times in this series, I was like, why don't the Raptors just like do the Tony Allen to him? Because he's not doing anything. He can't really do yeah. much off the dribble. He's not a good shooter. He's just kind of a negative out there at all times. And I thought like the Wizards would have been much better off just playing Mike Scott over Markeith Morris for most of the minutes. And Morris still out, outplayed uh, Scott by nine minutes a game. Like if you if you flip those numbers, this might be a different series. I, I really I really think that. I think Morris was like a, just an active negative out there at all times. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I feel like maybe I said Porter just because I know what he can contribute. Yeah, that's fair. And seeing, like, you know, a shell of himself in the series was a little bit disappointing. But, you know, definitely Gortat and Morris, especially especially Gortat, just because, like, you can tell he's a dying breed. You yeah. know, like, he... he you know, he wasn't as athletic as, you know, he wasn't, he couldn't guard Valanciunas in the post. He couldn't out-rebound him. There were two games where he had zero points and two points. So his, you could just tell, like, when he's on the court, there, there's only so much that he can do at this stage of his game. He can get people open with screens. He can occasionally finish on, you know, pick and rolls. But it's it's just very limited. So, I mean, they were, the Wizards were lucky that the Raptors didn't go small ball too much. And, mm-hmm. you know, they they basically always had either Yako Pirtle or Valanciunas, JV, in the game. So, you know, didn't expose Gortat quite as much as it could have. But I, I definitely think he's on his way out this year somehow if the Wizards can, can deal him. Because they'll probably do everything they can to get rid of him. <laughs> I, even though everything sounds like it's fine between him and Wall, like, I, I don't think so, you know. If you mention during the season, hey, I want to retire with the Orlando Magic, like what kind of message does that send if yeah. you're midway through a season? Like, okay, you don't want to be here anymore. Like, what? why Why would I want to pass you the ball? Like, all these different things. Yeah. It's very, um, uh, it was a very, uh, like, passive aggressive version of Eric Bledsoe at the start of the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, shout out to Markeith Morris, uh, back to Morris, for trying to, like, rile up OG Ananobi who is like the the least rileable person in the entire NBA. Good, yeah. Good try. <laughs> he did it twice. It failed twice. Is there anyone who's a fighter on on the Raptors? Oh, Surge. I, I was expecting a Marquise Surge fight in like game 2. I really mm. was. Like Surge has thrown multiple punches. He's been suspended twice in the last year for for throwing punches, so um yeah, I, I'm pretty surprised that didn't end up coming to blows at some point. Delon seems like a guy you don't mess with. Kyle, obviously, being from Philly, he's you know he's a little bit tough <laughs> too. But a couple guys just you know don't whether they're foreign or whatever it is, they just you know like I wouldn't even though Demar Derozan you know comes from like a gang ridden Compton neighborhood, he doesn't really give off the vibe that he is trying to be that physical with you. You know, no, Demar is extremely zen. Um... At all yeah. times, it's 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 lovely. Yeah, no, the Raptors aren't like a very fi- like PJ Tucker is not on the team anymore, so right. 
there's less of a fighty vibe, but Surge definitely will... Uh, Sometimes it felt like in the regular season, Surge was just trying to get into a fight so he could get ejected and get the night off. <laughs> that, was, that very much felt like a thing, but um, yeah. There are no. a few uh, interesting stats I want to pull up. Yeah. So uh, in terms of three-point shooting, the Wizards only hit eight a game, which was worst in the playoffs. Um, the Raptors hit 11 a game, which was fourth. Um, the Wizards had averaged until game five 25.6 assists per game. I'm not sure where that was at a time, but that would be um, between third and fourth. So they would be fourth if they kept that up. In the last game, they only had 12 assists mm-hmm. off 32 field goals. Wall had eight of those. So they dropped down to fifth place, 23.3, which is still solid. And then both teams were like horrible at rebounding compared to their, their playoff peers. <laughs> the Raptors were 11th and the Wizards were first, 13th, both averaging 40 boards a game. Were there any other... I, I wish I knew uh, the amount of points off the bench your, your team scored a game, but it seemed like that was a pretty pretty high figure. Do you just looking back big picture anything else that you noticed that kind of made it more mismatched as you thought, or do you, did you? I mean, you came into the series thinking it would be uh, a five game ser- win for for the Raptors, end mm-hmm. up being six. I was calling Wizards in seven, which, uh, I mean, yeah, I, it was. It seemed like in game four, and or sorry, game five and game six, even though they started off close games, the Wizards actually were up 12 in the first quarter in game six. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be a blowout, but, you know, they're the Wizards. It, <laughs> it seemed like it wasn't as close of a series as it could have been just because the games ended up being pretty close. There was maybe like a couple. The Wizards won one by 19, the Raptors won one by 11. But, I don't know, it just seemed a little bit more distant, maybe just because it didn't go to a Game 7, but it, it felt like the Raptors pretty much cruised aside from Games 3 and 4. What's, what are your like major takeaways, stepping back, big picture, from this this first-round win for the Raptors? Yeah, I kind of felt that, too. Like I was never really like worried about whether or not the Raptors were going to win the series. It just kind of felt like when they wanted to kick it in, they always felt like they had like a lineup that Casey was kind of saving for the fourth quarter or... Um, like they just had another gear they could find in the fourth quarter that the Wizards just couldn't find. Because I felt like the Wizards had to do everything they could to stay close. Um, like Wall had to be superhuman in order for this to be a close series. And he was for big chunks of it, but um, it kind of just felt like, you know, the Raptors were the one seed for them for a reason. They were a plus 7.8 net rating in the regular season for a reason. And it kind of felt like they could kind of rest on that and then really kick it in when they had to. Um, I think maybe the most interesting thing for, for me in terms of looking at like lineups and stuff, I, I think the Raptors' starting five was way better than I would have expected. They had a plus 8.5 net rating in 108 minutes together, a 116.4 offensive rating in those minutes. And you counter that with the starters for the Wizards, they were a minus 10 uh, in 80 minutes of 117.3 defensive rating. Like That, I think, kind of told the story. Because the bench for the Wizards, I mean, the main bench unit that they used, I guess, most of the time was Lawson, Mahinmi, Oubre, Sadoransky, Scott. They played 18 minutes. It was a plus 76.2. A lot of their bench units were excellent. Uh, the Raptors, not so much until Fred Van Vliet came back in. The Lowry and bench unit was pretty good. But other than that, it was, you know, the DeMar and bench was a disaster. It was a minus 63 in 16 minutes. Obviously, these are enormously tiny samples, but, um, you know, they, they matter in the course of a, of a playoff series, considering it itself is a small sample. Uh, but I think, you know, just the, the steadiness that the Raptors starters brought to the game every single night, even with Surge not playing particularly well. They just kind of, aside from game six where they got down early, like they started well in all in the first five games. And I think, 
yes, the Wizards came back and won, won games three and four, but the, the, the starters, I think, just kind of laid a nice groundwork for everything the Raptors did in this series. And I, I don't know if I would have expected them to be that good. I mean, they were excellent in the regular season, but you never know how the playoffs are going to change how it all works. If OG Ananobi is going to hit his threes or whatever. Um, right. But it turned out to be very necessary because the bench wasn't as good as we expected until game six. And, you know, the, the starters really, I think, held up their low, their end of the end of the bargain. And the, the the Wizard starters, on the other hand, I just think were, were pretty disappointing. And I guess that goes into, you know, Gortat, Morris, and Porter being three of the most disappointing four players in the series for the Wizards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's a real knife in the back when, in, you know, an elimination game, you're losing to guys who aren't even in the starting lineup. And when you have <laughs> Redman Fleet and Pascal Siakam, and uh, I can't remember, there was one other reserve who played all 12 minutes in the final game. Might have been uh, DeLon? It might have been DeLon. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, a tough series for the Wizards. Lots of questions. You know, a very inconsistent year for them. Uh, and I think when you were asking you, what are some of the things that the Wizards need to do now, it's it's a long tree list, you know? Like, they've got to draft an athletic big man. They need shooters and wings off the bench. Uh, they had no wing depth. They had no backup shooting guard in the playoffs. Um, and get rid of the people who might not want to be there. Um, Meeks, Gortat, Mahimni seems to have, he's, you know, let it all, all the dirty laundry out in the um, exit interview. I don't know if he wants to be there anymore. Who knows? Uh, he said there's basically just been miscommunication and poor communication, last lack of communication between the team all year. Uh, the players are ultimately to blame, but, like, coaching and ownership hasn't done a good job either. Uh, ideally, sign Mike Scott. You know, he, he had a great year. Uh, it would be good to have him back, especially if he can improve his his one-on-one defense and maybe lateral quickness just a little bit and grab some more rebounds. That'd be great. But yeah, the Wizards are in a very difficult position because the team is full of bad contracts. The only good contracts are maybe Markeith Morris and Kelly Oubre and Sadoransky aren't you know making too much money and they're contributing, but everyone else, I guess, like a Beal's contract is potentially tradable because. Three years, like $75 million. Uh, I don't think the Wizards break up Wall and Beal by any means, but if one of their big three contracts were to get traded, it would be Porter, who's kind of, you know, like he was injured this year. He's had an injury history. He's not like an aggressive scorer. I don't know how many teams would would want him. Maybe sell high on Kelly Oubre right now. I don't know. The Wizards have a ton of question marks. Uh <laughs> Not, and, you know, a few people ask, like, when you're going against the Raptors, like, they, they're a team that kind of overhauled their whole offensive and defensive philosophies and retooled their bench and all these different things. And so, they, you know, different reporters were asking, do the Wizards have enough with their current core to get over the hump and, you know, win a second-round series and make it to the conference finals? And everyone's basically saying, well, you look at all the injuries this year, that's why we struggle. You look at... Um, how good our starting five is uh, in terms of their efficiency. So, you know, a few people thought the starters are fine. It's just kind of retooling the bench and making some strides there. Do you have any parting advice for the Wizards? Uh, Stop signing bad contracts. That would be one. Um, Especially seven-footers who can't move. Yeah. So, like, the thing about the Wizards is it feels like they're kind of locked in to an extent unless they can, like, unload some stuff. But, like, I feel like a lot of these contracts, you're going to have to attach some sort of asset to get rid of them. The Raptors had to deal with this last summer with Damari Carroll. And considering 
how little cap space there is out there, considering um, just sort of the market for a lot of these types of players, you know, big centers. There's two centers who are kind of, you know, relics of the past a little bit on this team. No one's trading for those guys without getting something else in addition. Um, and that sort of feeds into the, the greater issue with the Wizards in that they've traded a lot of first-round picks. They haven't done particularly right. well drafting and filling out the roster the way, say, the Raptors have. And I think that uh, it's going to be hard to get out of this summer unless you, yeah, unless you trade a Porter or someone like that. But then what are you getting back for him? And then Wall has the, the super-duper Ubermax coming in in the 2019-20 season. Um, you know, next season, you know, I mean, you talk about Jody Meeks not, not wanting to be around, but he's got a $3.4 million player option next year. Is Jody Meeks getting more than that anywhere else? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he might want to keep that uh, $3.4 million. And he's suspended for 25 games. Exactly, uh, yeah. These regular season kicks in anyway. Yeah, so like he might just opt into that and then the Wizards are stuck there. Jason Smith has a $5.5 million player option. That dude didn't play in the series and barely played yeah. all year. Like He's taking that money next year for sure. Um, so it's it's kind of hard unless they unload some of these contracts, but that will, I think, feed into some of their bigger issues if they sort of get aggressive in trying to do that. And I, I don't really see how they're bringing back all that much in terms of value. They still owe Martel Webster $800,000 next year? <laughs> yeah, he, he, like, retired and was like, yeah, I'm going to start my rapping career. And, of course, he's still guaranteed money for years and years. It makes absolutely no sense. But, oh, you know, uh... that's what happened when I have... Uh, Ernie Grunfeld in your front office instead of a guy like Danny Ainge who <laughs> seems to just never trade with. I wish, yeah, I think this should be the end of the road for Grunfeld. And it's not going to be because, you know, <laughs> there's the argument Wall was injured half the year, but the team still had a ton of issues. You can't win a playoff series with one or two guys. Yeah. You know, you can't advance far in the, the postseason without a full team, you know, and lots of guys who contribute. You don't need... 10 of them like the Raptors have or 12 or whatever I don't know you probably have like 30 guys who, who could put on uniform and still bring you to a playoff win but you need at least seven who can yeah. consistently contribute and the Wizards haven't you know they have they their, their bench is not there yet um, and there's a lot of question marks and no flexibility from a financial perspective so yeah lots and lots of bad contracts it's it's been miserable for Wizards fans, and if they come back with the same core, it's just a big okay. I give up to to all the fans out there. I mean, <laughs> like we're happy being mediocre. We're happy, yeah, trying to get forty four wins, and and that's it. In fairness, to Ernie Grunfeld, Ty what? Lawson made eight thousand three hundred and thirteen dollars uh, as an NBA player this season, and I think he very much uh, overshot that value in in this playoff series. So that's good. That that's his value signing. <laughs> yeah, if you want to look at it that way. Um, okay. But yeah, I uh, Wall and Beal are really good, and I think there's always going to be hope with a team that has those guys at the top. Like John Wall is excellent, and he terrifies me. He's one of the few guys who scares the living daylights out of me when he's up against he's the Raptors. Fourth quarter. Maybe not so much, but like he, <laughs> you know, he was instrumental in all of the good things the Wizards did in this series for the most part. And right. as long as you have those two guys, you have a shot. And I think the Raptors are kind of an example of how you can kind of restructure around two guys. At the same time, the Raptors always had more fle- cap flexibility than what the Wizards have right now. And it's going to be mm-hmm. tricky for them. But um, here's hoping that, you know, I don't wish for anyone to be fired, but Ernie Grunfeld probably shouldn't have this job anymore. And here's hoping they can bring some so- someone in to kind of figure out this mess because it's uh, it doesn't look good right now. But, I mean, again... Beal and Wall are really good, and they can always, they're always going to give you a shot, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other question is, like, do the Wizards need a better veteran pre- presence, or is the leadership with, you know, Wall and Beal enough? And, of course, you don't want to necessarily add veterans because the Wizards were already one of the oldest teams in the postseason, but it's just a, a maturity issue. They didn't play hard every night. They overlooked a lot of opponents who ended up beating them, and these were not tough opponents. They were teams like the Atlanta Hawks and Brooklyn Nets and, you know, the, those sorts of squads. So... One final question for you. Yeah, I know that uh, Delon Wright said he he'd have a response prepared if the Wizards lost the series, and you know he got the the better end of the uh, you know if he kind of ousted Kelly Oubre at the end. Did he have anything to say to Oubre who told him that he doesn't play well on the road? Oh, he said uh, that blocking him at the end of the game was the highlight of his series, which is amazing <laughs> considering he had like a few just like legendary Raptors playoff moments in this series and blocking yeah. the hell out of Kelly Oubre at the buzzer was the number one for him, which is just uh, truly outstanding. Chef's kiss all around. And mwah. <laughs> like it's, uh, I, uh, yeah, no, that, that was his response. So, yeah, I think DeLon Wright got the better of that one for sure. All right, well, as you watch this Game 7 between the, the Pacers and the Cavs, I'll just, you know, be crying in a corner for the next four months or so. so. <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a pleasure uh, getting to speak with you on you know everything under the sun related to the series, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Uh, I think it's going to be the Cavs that you face. If not, obviously LeBron is out of town, and it's it's a whole shakeup of the NBA. Uh, the the East better be won by the Sixers or the Celtics, or else nobody's going to watch the finals. <laughs> Ah, Canada will watch. It'll be uh, bumping up here, so we'll uh, we'll, <laughs> All we'll right, take get your it. Poutine ready. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. Listen to Locked On Wizards and Locked On Raptors on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, review uh, to both shows. It's uh, it's very nice of you to do. It's uh, helpful. It's uh, all those things. It, it, it helps the ego. It helps the algorithms on iTunes and whatnot. Um, so please do that and uh, make sure you're checking out the entire Locked On Podcast Network as well. Thanks, Sean. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.